Hello and welcome to the Irish History Show. My name is Cahal Brennan, and as always, I'm joined by my co-presenter, John Dorney, from the Irish Story website. If you'd like to listen to this or any previous episodes of the show, you can go to our website, irishhistoryshow.ie. You can follow us on Twitter, at irishhistorypod, or follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the Irish History Show. On this episode of the show, we're very pleased to be joined by Alan Kinsler. Alan has his own website, irishelectionliterature.com, and anyone who follows Alan on Twitter or sees him on various blogs sees the amazing amounts of literature and paraphernalia from different political parties over the years, and it's a really, really useful resource for people who are interested in Irish politics. Alan, you're very welcome to the show. Alan, could you tell us about what first got you interested in collecting different types of Irish political paraphernalia? Um, I suppose back in the early 80s, I would have started in the February 1982 election. Basically, there was people outside the polling stations. And also, at the same time, the Lither and Powcon came on the same day. So it was either the day before or the morning of the election. So we'd go down to vote with our parents and outside the polling station, you'd get given stuff and you just hold on to it. And in that particular election, Barry Desmond, who's the local TD, was canvassing outside the polling station. And he signed a canvas card saying, to Alan, best wishes, Barry Desmond. And then there was another election in the November 82, and I kept the material from that too. And there was a by-election in Dublin Central in 1983. And my grand aunt lived there and she kept the stuff for me. So over time, you know, family, friends, and then people in school kept material for me. And by about 10 years later, I started to realize I had, um, I gathered something you know, something quite unique because it was from everybody. It wasn't just, um, you know, there were people who collected stuff from a locality. There were people, you know, who might only collect uh, Fianna Fáil material or Fianna Gael material or whatever, or stuff from a certain, you know, the left or the right or, or wherever. So because I had everything, I realized I had something of interest. And over time that grew. I would have written to the parties, you know, physically each election I would have got six stamps and I would have written to the parties looking for material. Not always uh, they have sent stuff back and I always found that weird that I, I was the only, probably one of the few people that actually wanted the stuff that they were giving out. You also I would have started going to protests and stuff as well just to collect material. It just gradually it grew and it's now at a stage, I started the blog but the site, the Irish Extra Literature site maybe I think 10 or 12 years ago just to start showing off material and since that it's grown I've a network now if there's any election of network around the country of people who send me stuff but there's also a lot of people who find stuff somebody passes away or even they're moving office or something they'll find material and they don't know what to do with it so they get in contact with me and they uh, send me stuff and very often it's quite funny that it's people you know, an uncle dies or an aunt dies and they go and clear out the house. They never realised they were heavily involved in a certain type of politics or politics at all at some stage. And you find uh, posters and stuff in the, the attic or like, for instance, um, a friend's aunt passed away and there was a load of Fianna Fáil posters from the 70s and 80s in the attic. They were due to go into a skip and my friend Oh God, Alan might like them. So that's you just—it's just grown. 
and I've kind of if people find stuff they send it to me and it's it's just a great way of expanding. Alan do you have a special interest or fascination for the small fringe parties? Yeah I do so you're getting material in like very often you know the election results supplements that come with the papers and you'd Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, whatever but often you see a, a name you haven't seen before and you're wondering oh what's that or you find there's an issue or something or you've a leaflet from say for instance the tax reform leak from 1987 you know they weren't a registered party yet there was a number of tax reform league candidates so you might well, have the tax reform league and if you're a collector at all if somebody is elected so for instance tom fox was elected for the roscommon hospital action committee to the doyle you want to be a completist so you make sure you get his material as well so uh, you try and have all the material from people elected in the doyle but the small parties they're so fascinating there's so many ways you know it can be a split it can be a movement or a new idea or it could be just one person thinking it's a, it's a great idea but the small parties you know they mightn't last two three years but their ideas maybe get taken by other people or enacted or whatever yeah do you think our electoral system contributes to the proliferation of small parties yeah of course it does like if you look across the water like that first past the post or um a lot of uh, a lot of electoral systems actually to protect it i think against the far right you have to have a certain percentage in the national vote before you can take a seat in the national parliament so it mitigates against smaller parties and also i suppose they would have more uh, regional and, and more powerful local government so you might have small small parties there although it's funny you know when you look in the certainly the 60s and 70s there were so many places that just had Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael running there weren't even you know there isn't weren't the same amount of independence or smaller parties back then for instance parliamentary wise the Trotskyists left very few countries have that number of parliamentarians from that tradition well, it's interesting, as you say there, Alan, about the uh, parts of the country that only have Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael candidates running in elections, because my mother is from West Sligo, and the Labour Party didn't even penetrate into that area. It really was pretty much Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael or the odd independent, especially when it came to county council elections in that part of the county. Yeah, like, for instance, I, I was looking at something from the adoption referendum in 1979 government information services publication it says what is the attitude of the political parties towards the issue answer all three parties Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and Labour are supporting the bill <laughs> that's it you know and yet there was so much more in existence even if you think of Sligo you had Declan Bree and the Sligo Leitrim independent socialist organisation was there for years before it merged with the Labour Party and funnily enough, at local level, there's literally a load of parties at local level. If you look, say, Wicklow, there was the Wicklow First Movement in, I think, 1991. Sorry, Alan, the Wicklow, the Wicklow First Movement. That sounds ominous. Yeah, no, it was a split from uh, Fianna Gael. Actually, it was a split from Fianna Gael, which arose from Shane Ross being imposed as a candidate. And... Three councillors left Fianna Gael. I think it was three councillors uh, left Fianna Gael and stood as Wicklow first. Did they have their own baseball caps? Or? 
No, <laughs> that was uh... <laughs> no. There were there were um, George Jones. I think was one of the candidates who was later a general election candidate. They would have got some elected. Yeah, the Waterford People's Party in 1985. That was a split from the Workers' Party. Had somebody elected, you go down to Cork and you would have had the Cork Civic Party, the Cork Socialist Party. Public Christool would have started in Cork. In Kerry, you would have um, South Kerry Independence Alliance. And although not a party, if you think of the Healy Ray organisation, two TDs, three councillors and a load of allied councillors as well. And that's another thing you see, um, like in TIP, you, you, the Workers and Unemployed Action Group. But you also have, since the dual mandate was abolished, a lot of TDs now have their own small parties, in effect, organisations. So there's Team Lowry councillors in Tipperary. And especially since it's one constituency. And again, Matty McGrath has some councillors. There's a, a Lowry organisation that fights local elections as well as general elections. The same like the Gregory Group, if you think about it as well. That's another strand to it in that you have TDs wanting eyes and ears in the ground, forming organisations that don't just stand in, in their own area, but in a wider area as well to get what's going on in the in the county. Look, for instance, I think Noel Grealish, there's a couple of XPD councillors in Galway who would be allied to him as well. When we go back even to the foundations of the state, Alan, it's interesting when you look through the list of TDs that are elected, how many of these very small parties are there right from independence? Yeah, yeah. If you look... Like, <laughs> If you look at the first Doyle elections, by 1923, you've Republican, you'd um, farmers, independents, coming the Gale, and I suppose even Labour and stuff as well. You'd all the other things like the National League, you'd um, later on the National Centre Party, uh, Clan Natalion, National Labour even, which was a split from Labour. In clan and public and interesting small ones then later on like the monetary reform party which was kind of a, an idea taken from canada which oliver j flanagan stood for even the communist party of course would have been fighting from the 20s onwards and larkin was elected in, what was it june 27 and even in june 27 there was a group called the blind men's party stood two candidates and they were protesting against the reduction in the blind pension in 1924 by, I think it was Ernest Blyde, was the Minister of Finance, but there was 5,000 people in receipt of the pension, and it was means-tested, which meant that a 1,000 blind people lost their pension. So there's all sorts of funny little groups at that stage, even in the 20s, fighting elections. Would it be fair to say, Alan, that with the emergence of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, which people should remember it's not actually at the time of the civil war it's later but with the emergence of those two big parties for a long time the smaller fish kind of got swallowed up didn't they oh yeah yeah you know occasional breakaways you know at McClana public the even the far right Altieri Hirsrick there was other groups certainly in the 50s you would have had Sinegale uh, Young Ireland National Action sorry Alan Sinegale Senegal, yeah. What's that? They were a small party. They fielded a candidate in the 1957 general election who didn't poll too well, but they were only founded a couple of weeks previously to it. They were formed by a group of Republican ex-prisoners 
and uh, Mr. Heffernan was the candidate. They intended to return to the old tradition of Irish nationalism, would reject the two home rule states set up in Ireland in 22, would eliminate British financial and economic control of Ireland and secure the freedom of independence of the whole people of Ireland. So that was that was their uh, that was their policy. And that's fairly standard Republican stuff from that era, though, right? Yeah, yeah. But you know, there's loads of loads of things like that that just last a, a brief period before uh, not not taking off. All these, like the National Action, they were pretty grim, far right. But they're fascinating all the same. Well, one of the interesting things as well with the foundation of the Free State is what becomes of Southern Unionism. And particularly at a local level, Unionism was pretty well represented in different parts of what would become the Free State. So what becomes of these Southern Unionists in the 26 counties? Well, it's just if we go back before, actually, it's funny. I remember a few years ago talking to somebody, I'm sure you've come across the same, where they had had, it would have been a family, I won't name the family, but there would have been a family involved in politics, unionist politics throughout the era up until the foundation of the state and during the war of independence they would have kept a load of material but they literally burnt it all during the war of independence in case it was found and they were um, singled out for it. Obviously there was unionists and stuff elected in Dublin for a couple of years, a couple of elections and then on a local level you had the likes of the Donegal Progressive Party and then the Protestant Association which were in Monaghan which kept, like I think, I think it could be ten or fifteen years ago when the last um, representative from those parties were on the council. So it's not. There was a big, long tradition of unionist representation there. Like I think the last unionist to run in a Doyle election was a fellow called John Macdonald in 1998, um, the Dublin North by-election. And he polled 107 votes, but he, it was really weird in that you had um, stuff like he was talking about the environment, Sellafield, you know, he was anti-drugs. And all of a sudden, you have a proper recognition of the 15,000 Dubliners who fought with Britain against the Nazis during World War Two, Ireland to rejoin the Commonwealth. And then we go back to banning tobacco advertising and to dumping of nuclear waste you know everything was normal and it was just two particular points but it was just weird seeing a, a unionist going up for a general election in the south now there had been ones previously in the 80s patrick melly was one there was another fellow I, I can't remember his name but he went up in louds during the 80s and his manifesto was for bible readings in the doyle there was a good representation throughout the years at a local level but it's kind of died out since. The more mainstream, probably, path or trajectory for Southern Unionists was uh, eventually joining Fine Gael, a, a lot of them. Okay, I'm thinking of the Dockrell family, for example. Yeah, like the Dockrell family. But even, for instance, there was always a, in Cavan Monaghan, there was always a Protestant seat, supposedly. So you had Heather Humphreys taking over from Seymour Crawford and so on and so on. So there was always a representation. Fine Gael was generally the home for them. All right. We mentioned, Alan, that at the time of independence, there was a great proliferation of parties in the middle of the 20th century. It tended to be narrowed down to the big two. But did we see a kind of resurgence of small parties towards, say, from the 1980s onwards? 
a lot of it was on the left. So, you, you know, the Socialist Party of Ireland, there was, there's been a couple of them, but the Socialist Party of Ireland, the crowd who produced, I think it was Super Spy in advance, stood in 77. You would have had the split. I suppose any time Labour go into government, <laughs> there's a new left-wing organisation <laughs> comes from a split out of Labour. Um, so you Socialist Labour Party founded, and they stood in the 1979 local elections. They stood all over the country, no success. And then you had, obviously, the Marxist-Leninists, uh, the Communist Party, and the Communist Party it's, itself, but the Communist Party of uh, Ireland, Marxist-Leninists, and they were gas. Like they used to do all the by-elections. Like the um, I think it was '74. There was a by-election in Monaghan, and David Vipond stood for the Communist Party of Ireland, Marxist-Leninist, and he was. I got. I remember reading a report of his address to the voters of Monaghan, and he called on all progressive people to take up the study of Marxism. Leninism, Mao Zedong thought, and build revolutionary study groups to propagate scientific ideas and oppose national chauvinist and revisionist ideas in order to raise the level of the working class and to create the material conditions for the further consolidation of the proletarian party. So he was issuing that from a podium in Monaghan town. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't, <laughs> but you know that that uh, I, I supposedly, uh, you know, he he uh, he addressed them as fellow peasants or, or something like that. But that's like they're particularly like a lot of the far left, but they're particularly mad. You also have the international dimension with the far left in that, for instance, they were allied to Albania. So you'd be reading Red Patriot or something, um, they're one of their magazines, and you know there'd be reports of the no no price rises in in socialist Albania, prices only go down. There's no inflation, things like that. It's just of a lovely little one of their posters from which is a picture of Mao on it, and just says "Don't vote for the national traitors." They're particularly fascinating, especially like they came from the internationalists in Trinity. You would have also had then later on you had People's Democracy. You would have had the League for a Workers' Republic would have been around then. Socialist Labour Party. Then of course the Democratic Socialist Party started in eighty one or eighty two. All the time you would have had militant, which then became the Socialist Party in the nineties, and now of course is split and became three in rise the new militant left crowd and the Socialist Party themselves and our solidarity. But there was a lot, like you had the Waterford People's Party, you had, which was split from the Workers' Party, you had the People's Party of Ireland in Leash. Later on then in the 90s, you would have had the proliferation of small Christian parties. Basically in 1990, I think it was, do you remember when the condoms and all were for sale in the Virgin Shop on Aston Quay? I do. Yeah. And then... Like I was actually in college in Minute at the time, and we um, had a referendum for a condom machine to be put into the students' union. And I, I never took the poster, but the posters against it was uh, self-control, not condoms. So it was legislation to uh, make condoms more available, freely available, where previously it had been, I think yeah, married couples had to get a prescription or something. So this promoted outrage amongst a lot of the Catholics, 
So a group called the party called the Christian Principles Party was founded and they actually ended up with a councillor, a lady called Sheila Hanley in Sligo Corporation. This is why I love the small parties is that uh, I remember getting a leaflet from one of their candidates, a fellow called Sean Clerken, and the, the, the slogan was jobs for youth, not condoms. So it was, uh, it was just, it, it stood out. But they, Sorry, what? <laughs> jobs for youth, not condoms. Well, how does that make sense, though? Doesn't. <laughs> but it, it was all. It, it was everything. The condoms was the final straw. See, up to this, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, you would have relied on them to keep an eye on all the social problems. You know, there wouldn't be. You know, they wouldn't be introducing condoms. They wouldn't be doing anything like that. And these people felt betrayed by both Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Like, it's the same later on in the abortion referendums in that you had people leaving. You know, in, in 92, Jesus, some of the Albert, anti-Albert propaganda was mad. It was horrific, actually, from some of the, you know, the more Christian uh, things. But people would have left, not not in droves, but there would have been elements that would have left, especially Fianna Fáil would have left and joined the Christian Principles Party. That dissolved and Nora Bennis and Jared Casey joined together to found the Christian Solidarity Party. There was a falling out there somewhere and Bennis formed the National Party. And there was also a crowd called the Christian Centrist Party, which I don't know if you know that Eamon Murphy fella who was very active, I think he ran in the European elections this time, but he would have been fairly extreme views on abortion. Even within these small parties, there was a lot of personality clashes. Richard Green was another one involved in a couple of those parties and ended up setting up his own party called Muncher Mahern. So there was a load of small Catholic parties. And yet, despite them all literally agreeing the same thing, those splits and everything because of personalities. Brings back a lot of memories, Alan. I mean, the first thing is like what a different country it was back then, even in the early 90s. Oh, yeah, big time, big time. Like, I've stuff from, I, I remember the, the, one of the first exhibitions I did in the print museum, I had um, Alice Glenn's uh, woman voting for divorce. It's like a turkey voting for Christmas. Young people coming up and just, re- young people, I'm 50, but basically <laughs> my anyone kind of 30 or younger were looking at it and going, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is crazy. This is yeah, I, crazy. I remember that well, though, yeah. There's also the famous one as well, Alan. Hello, divorce. Goodbye, daddy. Yeah, yeah. Like, I have a leaflet that says, God says vote no to divorce. Like, it's just... And and indeed, that's one of the other things that, you know, through collecting that you, you document, you document the social change. Like, it's not just... Obviously, I have a lot of stuff, say, to do with abortion and, and stuff from 83 and before. I have a lot of the Clares from the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael or Deshes over the years and but if you look in the 70s 77 uh like there's a motion that no married woman should take a job when there's a single person unemployed you know different you know i suppose it's only a couple of years after the marriage bar but it was uh, it's a whole load of social you get you get the other things like um telephones in every house or telephones in every school like there was there were schools without telephones never mind houses was one of the education things you get so much even sorry i'm diverting if you go back to the 30s 
And you look at Fianna Fáil produced some amazing things, especially in the 37 election, they produced a massive news sheet. But you saw the economic development of the country. It listed the economic development of the country within that period. And you had big maps of Ireland and all the various factories all over the place and a guide to what each factory did. You're looking at towns and you're going, wow, I never knew that was there. I never knew that was there. And possibly the industries may have lasted to the 50s and 60s. You're looking at a kind of a, I suppose, a social and industrial history of the country. But you're looking at towns and places that you didn't know had any industry. And yet the country was fairly fairly full of uh, all sorts of industry. Well, that's interesting. I mean, you know, that nowadays it's very unfashionable to give any credit to the self-sufficient industry, fearful ideology as once was. But I mean, I always think, I mean, was it entirely a bad thing? Oh, not at all. And I think if you look at the moment, there's a debate going on within Fianna Fáil about Fianna Gael, about the government deal. And, uh, you know, history is a huge part of it. A lot of the membership hark back to the massive house building under Lamas, the house building in the 30s, the industrial drives under Lamas and Dev and everything, as the difference between the two parties. They produced some fantastic graphics as well in the 40s with regard to the great house building campaigns. So you'd have a picture of a massive house and, you know, the number of houses built by Fianna Fáil over this government period was X. And then you'd have a small little cottage to represent the number of houses built by uh, Cumann Gael or Fianna Gael. It's one of the reasons that there will be opposition because they feel they've a totally different ideal and image of their party than a lot of the voters do, I suppose. Yeah, I think that that's right. You know, but also, I mean, you can make the point without straying too far off our, our point here that, you know, since Lamas, Fianna Fáil has been the party of foreign investment and so on. Yeah. And uh, liberalisation of the economy. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And like, it, it's um, like I found a picture of Hat Factory in Castlebar. The Hat Factory in Castlebar. And it was from a Fianna Fáil publication for, um, to mark 25 years of the party. You know, you start getting into the history and somebody contacted me and said, you know, that factory literally employed thousands over the years. But also that factory was started by people who had fled from, I think, Czechoslovakia from the Nazis. And then they came over and started the factory. So there was a whole history, not just the social history of Castlebar and this area and everything, but the history of who set it up and, and so on. It was just it was just interesting. Yes, that is fascinating, Alan. One of the areas as well is the proliferation of different Republican parties, particularly after the split in the Republican movement in 69 and 70. Would you have much material from groups like Republican Sinn Féin and the Irish Republican Socialist Party? So you, the Workers' Party, or what became the Workers' Party, then you have the IRSP. Yeah, I have stuff from the IRSP, I have stuff from Republican Sinn Féin. You know, and it's actually interesting that some of the Republican Sinn Féin stuff would have been against the Good Friday Agreement. Some posters from Republican Sinn Féin for commemorations at Bowdenstown. IRSP, I have a Brits Out poster from them. But again, 
they're not particularly successful, although the RSP are still going. But they would have been one of the smaller parties, certainly in the early 80s, to run in, in elections. Republican Sinn Féin, I don't think, is registered anymore. And I'm not sure if Tommaso Coron got his seat the last time in the locals in Galway. If you think of now, though, even how there's even been more splits and that you've ended up with uh, Erigi splitting from Sinn Féin, Losser Darig, then you've Sarah, and just how since the Good Friday Agreement, even Republicanism has split further and further as the groups opposed to the Good Friday Agreement have all split in various different ways. As people can see on your site, you have an awful lot of material there from, as you say, the left-winged, far-left groups and a lot of their theoretical material, like their magazines and stuff. Do you find that level of theoretical literature being produced by the smaller Republican groups discussing like the the ins and outs of how they see republicanism in the same way that the socialist groups do? No. Short answer. We see I don't think I don't think the newspaper is there was a time when it, when the newspaper was big. It was your way of um like you went to a march and you were accosted by somebody selling a socialist worker, somebody selling um the socialist or whatever. And there might be even you might be hijacked by the Spartacus or whoever might be there. Indeed, actually, it's funny. Uh, some of the bigger marches in the past 10 years, you've had um, groups over from the UK as well selling their papers and giving out pamphlets um, as well. But the Republican groups it would have been only uh, Republican Sinn Féin, really their paper would be the, the most common. Now, then again, a lot of them are more active up in the north than they are in Dublin. But for instance, I haven't, I've haven't, i never seen a Sarah paper or paper from Lazar Darig. Um, although I do have some stuff. I don't don't even know if Ergie produce a paper. It's all online now, uh, a lot of it. Even on public, it's gone to magazine format. One of the parties that I was hoping we could talk about because it really sticks in my mind from my early teenage years where they seem to be ubiquitous in local and European elections were the Natural Law Party and they only seemed to exist for a certain amount of time and then they disappeared. Yeah, but that was uh, the National Natural Law uh, was an international thing and it came to Ireland. It was just so strange and they ran in... um, they ran in locals, they ran in Europeans. They had um, the solution for Northern Ireland. Looking through their material, the first priority of the Natural Law Party is to create a more coherent and positive society. This will be achieved by establishing a large group of experts practicing the Transcendental Meditation and Yogic Flying Program at one location in Ireland. Scientific studies have shown such a group will significantly reduce societal stress, resulting in reduced crime and all other negative trends. As stress and inertia decline, the economy and the whole society will automatically begin to flourish. So you can imagine um, they, didn't, uh, they didn't do too well. But it was just such an idea of... Uh, I remember seeing they had a party political broadcast and they had somebody doing yogic flying. But that would have been around the time of the war in Yugoslavia as well. And they hadn't, 
the suggestion that it would be solved by the natural law party going in and uh, teaching all the protagonists to do yogic flying. You're bringing back a lot of memories here, Alan. I had totally forgotten about those guys, but yeah, I do remember now that you mentioned it. Yeah, no, it's just uh, like they were so off the wall. They were so off the wall. I, I'm not sure if it was uh, religion or something, but it was uh, certainly, um, and I think they're still going in certain parts of the world. But again, it was funny, you know, when I was thinking of the communists and everything, but actually they were another one allied to an international movement. Probably a cult or something. It's interesting with groups like the Natural Law Party that you're wondering, is it a practical joke? Is this serious? And from what I can remember, like they ran in an awful lot of constituencies and the material was fairly well produced. Like they had some money behind them. Oh, they did, yeah. But I don't know where the, I don't know where the money came from. But again, it was an international thing. There's probably some guru in India or something like that. And yes, it's actually funny you talk about jokes like this. There's very few joke candidates. Do you know about Bernie Murphy? Bernie Murphy was uh, an independent in 1985. For my sins, I uh, I worked down in Cork for a year. He uh, was a sandwich board on Patrick Street. I worked in a shop on Patrick Street. And he was a sandwich board man on Patrick Street. But in 1985, a group of supposed lawyers and stuff paid his deposit for him to run in the local elections. His manifesto in 1985 was keep gas meters for people who want them, no service charges, improve medical and dental services, take the Gardaí off the border and put them back in the streets. It's Maggie Thatcher's border, let her mind it, a ferry for Cork, give people houses to live in and develop waste ground up Patrick's Hill as a park for children. Anyone who doesn't vote for me might be off their game. And you know he's right. Give Cork back his character. And his, his logo was himself in a pint of Murphy's. He ran in 1987, then in Cork South Central and Cork North Central. I have no respect for the people of North Central. Gerald Y. Goldberg, Fianna Fáil, after he was elected to the council. I think it's a disgrace to the people who voted for him. It's a total and absolute disgrace. Senator Sean O'Leary of Fianna Gael. A plot. Bernard Allen Fianna Gael. Sinister. The Brazil journalist. The people should be bloody well ashamed of themselves. Sean Beach of the Labour Party. He wouldn't get elected to the Doyle in a 50-seater constituency. Senator Sean O'Leary, Fianna Gael. So his policy by 87 included bringing Ryanair to Cork. Dublin should not be allowed to play All-Ireland semi-finals in Croke Park. No state cars, no pensions for sitting TDs, abolishing the presidency, abolishing the Senate, build a bridge instead of a tunnel, what became the Jack Lynch tunnel, and stop stopping money lenders. And he was also asking you to, and his slogan was, here's up a mall. This um, this thing you bought for 50 pence, my father bought, was down in Cork at the time and bought it for me. But the first prize, keep this manifesto, and when Bernie is elected to the Doyle, write your name and address it and send it to Bernie's home. And it would be included in a free celebration draw. First prize at a thousand pounds and one bottle of cork cream sherry. Second prize two hundred pounds and three bottles of cork cream sherry. Third prize a hundred pounds and six bottles of cork cream sherry. So it's a thing, and you could also vote yourself into the money with them. This is a common thing on joke candidates in that um, 
Liam Cashman is offering 50 to 1 against Burnley this time. Get your money on Burnley and vote yourselves the prize of a holiday. It's the only way we'll ever be able to make politics pay. 500 for a tenner tax-free, only a sucker wouldn't you take it. Vote yourselves the money, you'll never vote better. Um, he didn't that's, get in. That's a clever electoral strategies there, though. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's, that's one of the seeming joke candidates that was elected. Yeah, I mean, we can uh, we can entertain ourselves with the, the joke candidates, but like sometimes a small party does become a major party. And, um, you know, I remember back in the period we were talking about the 80s and 90s, Sinn Féin was very much a fringe party. And now it's the largest single party in terms of votes in the last election. Have you seen a change, Alan, in, in the material that they've been putting out over those decades? Oh, yeah, of course. And it's got more glossy. But even the profile of the candidates, like if you look in the 80s, it was kind of, uh, this is Paddy Joe. Paddy Joe was in the maze for 10 years for doing this, that and the other. Or by the time the 2000s came, it was uh, Paddy Joe was a, is a small business owner and so on. Um, it's a different appealing to a different demographic rather than just a Republican Party. It, uh, incidentally, actually, the, the fact that it was a Republican Party meant that it was able to do well nationally in that it had people everywhere in the country and something that, although Labour, you know, have done well in, in in times, it was never able to get into certain parts of the country where Sinn Féin were able to actually win seats there because of the republicanism. There were small party, but the Greens are probably the most successful small parties because they were regarded as um, cranks, I suppose, when, you know, when they started off as the ecology party. Like it was just so weird people caring about the environment. I suppose the environmental problem has grown as they've gone on and they've been able to, even despite being wiped out in 2011, they've been able to come back because they're, obviously they're far more than a single issue party, but the environment is tied into them. Yeah, the issue doesn't go away. And the other party that made it, but then fell again, was the Progressive Democrats. Yeah, I wouldn't have counted them as a small party, funnily enough. They were massive. They were massive. I remember going to O'Malley's rallies and stuff. I was at their first ever public meeting out in Sutton. I was still in school. Like they were attracting huge crowds. Like do you remember the the meetings after the election Sinn Fein had around the place before the COVID, and people locked out of Liberty Hall. You know there was crowds outside Liberty Hall, crowds outside various different places. Peter started talking on the steps of Liberty Hall to them. That was like the PDs. There was such enthusiasm. And also, they had organisations in that they had TDs and councillors join them. They failed, actually, they failed to put a proper organisation together, which is always a challenge for a new party, in that they assumed that they just get votes without having much of an organisation in some places. So they didn't have the branch network, you know, the, the way, you know, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and whatever, had commands, and they didn't have that branch network Possibly they thought they were above it, um, but they didn't have that same network and didn't set down the roots that they could have in a, in 86 onwards. Um, and that cost them in the long run. That they became oh, that's very interesting. Uh, that's, it's kind of the opposite of Sinn Féin, isn't it? Because they had the activists first and then the TDs, as opposed yes, to... Yes, exactly, exactly. Because they had, the PDs had a lot of high-profile people. And again, O'Malley was charismatic, certainly to some people, and they offered something totally different in the 80s the 80s anyway it's interesting i mean you know 
the ideological climate today, I wouldn't say is such that you could get a lot of people elected by saying we want more free markets and we want liberalization of the economy and we want more capitalism. You know, there doesn't seem to be the market for that that there was in the 80s. Well, I don't think that was primarily, well, one, we're not as taxed. The tax rate was massive. But two, it wasn't necessarily economic. It was at the same time Charlie was opposing the Anglo-Irish Agreement. And also the divorce, the PDs would have been in favour of divorce, would have been a lot more socially liberal than Fianna Fáil, and indeed most of Fianna Gael. They would have also had um, a very different attitude to the North than Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil. They were a lot more accommodating towards unionism and an agreed solution as opposed to the other parties. Um, and that was one of the reasons they attracted a lot of people, was that they had a different um, uh, idea on, on the North and social issues. It wasn't just the economic thing. Yeah, you're, you're so right. I mean, uh, I, I had totally forgotten that, but you're quite right. I mean, I was thinking more about the 2000s PDs, you know, Mary Harney and Michael McDowell and so on. Yeah, no, no. And they also had decent people, not them, Harney McDowell weren't, but there was good, decent people like Pader Clausey and Pierce Wise and Bobby Malloy and so on that were seen as good, decent people. You know, um, that's what happens as well. If you're a party that has a couple of issues, or indeed a single issue party, once some of the issues that attract people get solved or sorted, then you're left with the the other parts here, <laughs> the, the other part, which is the economic part. So it was uh, that's partially why they ended up that, because the other initial attractions were gone or done. So interesting. I mean, you know, if a, your own policies become mainstream, you might lose out electorally. Oh, yeah. Like, indeed, um, if you look at the Greens, oh, the, the progressive Democrats were the Greens. The progressive Democrats had the real party of the environment. <laughs> they were. Even in 2007, I think it was, something that Fianna Fáil had um, sending around a leaflet to calculate your carbon footprint. So a lot, all the parties went, um, Lucinda Clayton produced some green stuff, anti-green stuff, not anti-green, but uh, I'm greener than the greens type of thing. Everybody was producing green stuff because the environment was such a big issue. So the environment, they, they tried to take it off the greens, I suppose. Alan, I think most people are familiar with your local TD or councillor sending in a, a calendar with their face on it, or when there's, you know, a World Cup or a European Championship or the All Ireland Championships coming up, uh, a list of fixtures with their face on it. Yeah. Have you ever encountered any other types of material from councillors and TDs, more unusual stuff that they've tried to brand themselves with? Um, well, there's some stuff I couldn't keep. Like Simon Harris was handing out oranges with stickers during the uh, Bray Station or Greystone Station during the last election. I've toothpaste. I've toothpaste from a chap called Keith Redmond, who was a, a dentist who was running for Fianna Gael at the time. Um, and it was just a little tiny packets of Colgate with his stickers on it. I've mints from uh, Neil Richmond. I've uh, harmonica from Sinn Féin. It's funny, actually, how climate influences stuff. You know, a couple of raincoats and stuff from various different canvassing teams, and then they might have given me a raincoat after the, the election of a Lynn Boylan umbrella. I go over, there's a massive collection in um, Lisbon, the, it's known as the Ephemera Archive, and I've gone over there twice now. 
I remember the first time I went over, my wife said to me, you might get out some ideas about storage. I, I hadn't an idea of the uh, the scale of the, the collection. So I went over there and got picked up at the airport myself and another fella. Your man has a depository. So if you've stuff, you can leave it um, the place at the back of a bookshop. And we were bought in there. Um, that's where people leave off material for their collection. And it's just, you know, I was holding Marxist Leninist flags and there was all sorts of things. And then following morning, we got picked up and brought out to this guy's house, uh, which is about 70 or 80 miles outside Lisbon. And his home is a former winery. So if you think of the basement and everything is, you know, it's cool, it's perfect for storing stuff. So you're going in on the wall is um, posters from the Sandinista or from El Salvador, from Nicaragua. There's stuff from Nazis. There's literally everything. And they had candles, beer, umbrellas, like loads, loads of different things. But one of the most common things in Southern Europe is fans. Politicians giving out fans to cool you down. Anyway, went finished the first place and then uh, he said come on we'll go next door so he had um over time he bought the next door neighbors and then bought the the uh their neighbors and then bought their neighbors so there was basically five houses um full of material and then a couple last year was last year yeah last year we went over again and he had a warehouse as well uh full of stuff it's just amazing so anyway i don't have a warehouse or anything but uh um, not planning on buying five other houses. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know, unless I win the lot. I'm get, I was meant to get a shed for Valentine's Day, actually. Never quite materialised with all the COVID and everything. Could you see yourself uh, eventually donating all this stuff to the National Archive or University? I'd love to set up something locally. Love the county council said, right. Because, they, you know, people do politics and stuff in, in school. I initially thought when I started doing exhibitions and stuff that it was just going to be political nerds like myself. There's a lot more to it than that. Like, for instance, I grew up in Dunleary, so I can do one in Dunleary. There'll be nostalgia, but you've local history, you've everything. It's a far wider appeal than I had thought previously. Uh, it's a far wider appeal. And it's educational as well. Like, you can teach people how to, you know, because obviously I've the contents of polling booths and all the rest as well, that you can teach people how to vote. You could teach pupils doing things, social and political education, as well as politics. I think SBHE, I think, I can't remember the, the subject name, but you can do, um, there's a lot more to it. And, you know, there's an educational aspect as well. Um, I'd love to, geez, if I won the lotto, I'd set up a museum in the morning. Because there's so much, if, um, like, for instance, like, you know, you had the Doyle 100, the 100 years of the women's vote. And I was doing, um, I was helping out, and there's um, Sinead McCool had an exhibition. Um, I think it's back in Dublin Castle, but it started in Dublin Castle to do with the 100 years of women voting. She was looking for material from various different uh, female TDs and senators. But it was just interesting. I was going through boxes of stuff. You know, I, I sort by constituency and, and smaller parties and things but I'd never sorted by gender. And I was amazed, literally, lack of female stuff compared to uh, our successful female candidates compared to uh, male candidates was unreal. So you learn learn from that. So that was a huge thing to be able to 
uh, scan a lot of material because a lot of that um, that exhibition is digital. But the, you know what, geez, I'd love to I'd love to open a museum. But whether there's a living in it, I don't I don't know unless a council or somebody was involved. And then with the, all this COVID carry on and all the, I don't think we'll be having uh, much spare money for uh, various things like that. So Alan, just to finish off, is there any more unusual and interesting characters from the last general election we recently had that caught your eye? The last election was the first one where we had the National Party, uh, the Irish Freedom Party, and then you had Jem O'Doherty and John Walters running. And hopefully, in a few years time we look back at that material and go my god that was mad but there was also um some independence a couple of anti-5g and in independence like there was a lady called mary o'donnell who ran in sligo leitrim and she was looking for lead street lights smart meters mass wi-fi rf radiation from devices 5g and so on she was against all all sorts of things like that i suppose since the deposit um years ago you had to pay um, a fairly hefty deposit to run you know since the deposit is gone you've got a wider array of people and parties because um, because of that a lot of right-wing fairly right-wing independence i suppose my favorite one actually and it was uh, i was blessed because i'm in dublin southwest was a fella called Colm O'Keefe. His logo was a Vatican flag and a communist flag intertwined. And it was calm unity, vote for Colm O'Keefe for the right to marry and a collectivist republic. And it was just very unusual. He was a collectivist republican. That should be under the monarchy. Left-wing parties have collectivist economic policies, but individualist social policies and right-wing parties have individualist economic policies and collectivist social policies. What's needed is a party with collectivist economic and collectivist social policies. A republic, as I see it, is merely a point on the continuum between absolute monarchy at one end of the spectrum and pure democracy, which is what Ireland is today in constitutional terms, at the other end of the spectrum. A republic is a democracy with a little bit of monarchy in the same way that a constitutional monarchy is a monarchy with a bit of democracy. A united 32-county independent democratic Republic of Ireland should have its own Irish monarchy for its own Irish loyalist population. The Irish monarchy should apply only to the Irish loyalist population, not to the Irish nationalist population, nor to the land of Ireland, neither. But as we would have the same monarch as Great Britain has, because we would share a common monarchy, that gives you a United Kingdom, as well, of course, as a United Ireland. So that was a bit confused. But that all uh, sounds fairly clear and straightforward, <laughs> doesn't it? I think I found my political home, Alan. Oh, have you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was just weird and got massive, massive thing. But there's been some, like not not, not last year, was it last, last year's local election? There was a fellow who was looking for um, a new currency for Kildare. <laughs> uh, and he was serious, you know. Yeah. Um, like you know, it, it was pa- partially to do with them um, shopping and stuff, but it, that was that was the best leaflet from. Oh, there was also it was like some of the right wing lads. There was some lad who was Ireland's only charioteer. Very good. Yeah, I guess the National Party and all that, and of course Peter Casey and all that. But, but really, it's hard to beat your man's uh, communist Vatican stuff.
maybe to finish off, I'm just reminded there of Clifford T. Reed, if you yeah. remember him, and uh, his very poorly designed posters. Yeah, <laughs> I've been in contact with him a few times. He's known of the posters left. I have one of his leaflets, which, you know, to stop the pedophiles is such a thing. But those posters literally went up and got taken down with student houses immediately. Everybody took them because they were seen as a collector's item. But certainly well, it's a slogan that caught the eye. Well, unfortunately for Clifford, people looking at the posters, and I don't know if people can remember them from the time they were black and white. The assumption being, that this no. is a local campaign to keep this guy who is a paedophile yeah. out of their area. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Rather than this is the candidate opposed to paedophilia. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, he's actually a, a very nice fella, actually. I think, did I mean, I was going to meet, I'm, I'm not sure, he's from Kildare somewhere, but he's, uh, I remember um, I did an exhibit, it was due to do it this year as well, the Newbridge June Fest, but obviously it was, um, it was online only, but uh, I met a few people who'd had his posters last year when I was talking to the people in there. Nobody, nobody give one up though. Oh, they like gold dust. Yeah. <laughs> well, unfortunately, Alan, I think we've come to the end of the show, and we really appreciate you being on today. And thank you very much. And for anyone who's listening in, Alan has a new podcast that's starting talking about all these issues about small political parties, about election paraphernalia. And also, if you'd like to check out Alan's blog, it's irishelectionliterature.com. And you're also on Twitter as well. So definitely worth a look for anyone who's interested in Irish politics. Thank you very much for listening. On behalf of myself, Paul Brennan, and my co-presenter, John Dorney, if you'd like to listen to any previous episodes to show, you can go to our website, irishhistoryshow.ie. You can follow us on Twitter, at irishhistorypod, and follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the Irish History Show. We'd really appreciate it if you get the chance to rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, thank you very much for listening.